This is Untold, the Connecticut Mirror's news and culture podcast. We have three simple charges. Challenge assumptions, seek understanding, and leave nothing untold. I'm Mercy Quay. And I'm John Dankosky. We've been talking all this season about our rights and what truths we can all hold to be self-evident. The right to be accepted for simply who you are is on uncertain ground right now, as some states pass laws to restrict the rights of gay and trans people, and as the Supreme Court is poised to decide whether some businesses can refuse to serve gay customers. Coming up, we'll hear from one Connecticut family working to raise their trans child in this increasingly hostile environment. One time, he was really struggling and he came down and sat next to me on the couch. He literally just broke down and he just said, I wish I was normal. And we'll invite advocate and educator Ace Ricker into the studio for a really frank discussion of what it's like to grow up trans. He'll explain why some families are now seeking sanctuary in Connecticut. In the U.S., we have people fleeing states to come to other states because they are being terrorized. John, what are your pronouns? Uh, my pronouns are he, him, his. How about you? Mine are funky. Mine are she, her, but I would absolutely go by anything with love. And if you referred to me as they, I'd be fine. Um, but, f- but pronouns are funky. Pronouns are are all the rage right now and kind of hard for folks who spend no time thinking about them to think about them at all. Yeah. I mean, it's become challenging for me and others, I'll say, of my generation to get used to uh, they as a pronoun, given the pluralness of it. But it's something that I know I have to keep coming back to over and over again. Um, I, I, you know, I think it's interesting, Mercy, that we've probably never been in a time in history in which the culture is more comfortable talking about the language that we're discussing today or talking about the issues that we're discussing today. Mm, But all that being said, as we're about to hear from Ace, there's probably never been a more dangerous time for transgender folks in America. Yeah, to me, that seems there seems like a one to one correlation. And it's pretty obvious to me that once when the volume is turned up by folks who have been oppressed, then the efforts to continue those forms of oppressions also get turned up. Right. And so to me, that's a one to one. Right. As the LGBTQ community um, gets more and more comfortable being more and more expressive than the folks who are just sheerly uncomfortable with our existence will have to be far more vocal in order to quiet us. Right. And so there is a way that that means, you know, everything from interpersonal behavior all the way up to and including legislation that stops people from, from buying cake from an establishment that they might want to buy cake from. Right. I think that we are in a really dangerous time because we're, we're doing things like deputizing citizens to uphold laws that are unjust in the first place. It's interesting that though, that as you, as you bring us back to that Supreme court case, it's, it's an, it's another unusual place in which one of the supposed bedrock ideas of America, freedom of religion, Mm -hmm. rubs up against another supposedly 
bedrock idea. It's the it's the pursuit of happiness, yeah. uh, who, whoever you are and however you decide to live. And in the courts, increasingly, it seems as though that right to practice religion, even if it's in a discriminatory manner, is is trumping, for lack of a better word, that right to happiness piece that we that we talk about so much. I think that's right. I think that's right. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Hamilton, executive editor of the Connecticut Mirror. Our impact reporting is made possible because of the financial support of members like you. If you are a Connecticut Mirror member, thank you. You're helping to create and sustain in-depth news coverage here in the state. If you haven't yet supported the Connecticut Mirror, I encourage you to do so. Nonprofit, nonpartisan journalism like this is vital to our democracy. Go to ctmirror.org and click the red donate button. Thank you. You're listening to Untold, a Connecticut Mirror podcast. I'm Mercy Quay. And I'm John Dankowski. Advocates say Connecticut has some of the best policies in the U.S. when it comes to protecting LGBTQ folks in education, employment, and healthcare. But even with the laws in place, Actually getting transgender kids a safe and equitable education sometimes requires a fight. Reporter Ali Oshinsky brings us a story of one family's journey. Oakley's current favorite after-school snack is corn. It's bad. I love corn. He was just putting his snack away as I arrived. In a container, but none of these have lids. What do you like about corn? Oh my gosh, it sounds like that song. What do I not like? That's Oakley's mom, Sarah. She and Oakley show me that song on TikTok. I really like corn. What do you like about corn? It's corn! Oakley is 14 years old, and when we sit down to chat, Sarah brings up another recent thing that made him very happy. We would go to restaurants, and somebody at the restaurant would refer to Oakley as Sir. And you would think that someone just handed him $1,000 with his reaction. It, like, his whole face lit up. Oakley is transgender, and in that moment, he was experiencing gender euphoria. I'll let Oakley explain what that is. For me, gender euphoria is, like, an instant feeling of, like, happiness, relief, that regards to, like, oh, my God, this is hard. When, when the gender that you're identifying with on the inside is starting to show a bit more on the outside. That brings a feeling of it boosts your confidence a little bit and happiness and stuff that you don't get to feel otherwise. He's been feeling this a lot more lately in no small part because he's going to a school where he doesn't get misgendered. And he's being affirmed and seen for more than his gender. They see Oakley. And that's his right, according to Kevin Barry, interim dean at the Quinnipiac University School of Law, who says that trans kids are theoretically shielded by state and federal law in a few ways. Kids in school, trans, non-binary kids in school, are protected from discrimination based on their gender identity. In addition, there are disability discrimination laws, anti-discrimination laws. They protect kids who have gender dysphoria which is this distress that results from the mismatch between brain sex and assigned sex at birth. That's right. Gender dysphoria, that distress, can be legally categorized as a disability. 
schools are required to make accommodations or create individualized education plans for students with disabilities. And for a trans kid, that includes letting them use the appropriate bathroom or using their name and preferred pronouns. These things are called social transition, and Barry says they are protected by law. Because to not affirm a child who is socially transitioning is to discriminate against them based on sex. And perhaps, if they have gender dysphoria, also to discriminate against them based on disability. The Supreme Court hasn't ruled on this issue yet, but lower courts see it much the same way Barry does. It's an issue of both sex discrimination and disability discrimination. Connecticut has some of the strongest protections in the country for transgender people. But even in the best case scenario, laws can only do so much. There's a couple of kids that would like pick on me and stuff because I started to socially transition. And then I was in a relationship with a girl and people would give me a hard time about it. And it was just all this. And then my mental health declined a lot. The reception of Oakley at school made it clear to Sarah that something would have to change. One time he was really struggling and he came down and sat next to me on the couch. He literally just broke down and he just said, I wish I was normal. I wish I was normal. And that's when he told me that it was so hurtful for the constant name or labels that people wanted to put on him. And this can have serious consequences. Over half of trans and non-binary youth said they seriously considered suicide in the last year, according to data from the Trevor Project. Sarah hired an educational advocate, someone who could open up the labyrinth of laws and help find Oakley an appropriate place to get educated. They negotiated with his school district on accommodations, and Sarah says, in fairness to them, the public school did their best. But they couldn't provide everything Oakley needed for his emotional and mental health. So his district is now paying to send him to a small private school. Well, unless you have a child that is, I guess, your normal average child, the schools don't almost know what to do about it. Sarah considers her family lucky, both because of the resources they had to make this possible and because their district was willing to work with them. But she talks to many other Connecticut parents of trans and non-binary kids who experience pushback from school administrators. And the thing is, is that Connecticut has laws. It's written in black and white. This is what you're supposed to be doing. This is how it's supposed to be handled. But I don't think they look at that until it comes into their own school. And they're like, oh, God, we got to figure this out. we got to somebody pull that out and read it. So and even then, if they can get away with not doing something, they'll get away with not doing something. Kevin Barry would like to remind schools that affirming these kids gender is just what's best for their health. Transition works social transition like we've been talking about, medical care, all of those things science tells us people who who undergo transition have better, in their words, outcomes. A study earlier this year from the University of Washington found that when trans teens had access to gender-affirming health care, their depression and suicidality decreased significantly. So there's a bunch of laws that require schools to affirm trans kids and a collection of statistics that make it clear that the consequences, if not, can be fatal. But I think the best guidance on this topic comes from Oakley. The, what you need to do is listen to what the teen is saying, because chances are they know what they need. And who could be a better expert on that? Give me 
give us your name and tell us what you do. Sure. So uh, my name is Ace Ricker. I am a public advocate and educator and have the LLC called ACE. The acronym, though, is Awareness Through Communication and Education. Because uh, I was a dork and I just decided to like, hey, this works and, and it has a range. <laughs> I was wondering how, 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 you know, how much you had to go through. Is like, should I do this? Should I actually have an acronym that is the same as my name? <laughs> yeah, I was like, this probably seems cocky as hell to do. <laughs> no, I kind of like I, it. It's I, just I, like, no, like this, this is easy this to is, remember. It's easy to remember, right? It is easy to remember, which is, yeah. is really good. And I chose Ace as my name because in mythology, in Greek mythology, it's a unity into one. So for me, I encompass my my youth, even though it was a hard youth, and even the dynamics of of growing up not being able to express brought me into who I am today. And as Ace and as having an organization as Ace, I hope I can I can bring conversations together and minds, maybe not to be one, all of us agreeing, but to to bring about a connection that was not there prior. For myself, I'm a trans man, so I was born female, identify as male, and there's oftentimes I use that as an education point because there's these very misconceptions of like, Rocky picture horror show, I'm coming out in a corset and heavy makeup as a trans person. And I am I am just like anyone else. I have to pay my taxes and all like, but there are these these misconceptions and I go into a lot of education sort of like, hey, so you don't know, but you have all these prejudgments about mm-hmm. me. But I used to be that little kid that was harassed. It very much so brought a lot of obstacles internally and then navigating all those obstacles that I then had to face externally on top of that. Let's go there for a second. Because I think that some of our listeners don't or may not have this understanding or for them there's there's these preconceived notions on, you know, what it might be like to uh, be trans as a young person and, and not have the words but have the feeling in your body, in your mind. What What are those feelings? I didn't have the words but by seven years old I very much so was like, I, I felt fully like I, I'm a boy. Like, I wouldn't question it. Like, individuals who are cisgendered who identify with their biological sex they're not going to ever think like when did i figure out i was a boy or when did i figure out i was a girl it was very interesting and my mother um disclosed me within the last year pretty recently that i did i don't even recall that i even prior to seven years old would say i was a boy like hey mommy i was a boy like i'm a boy for me, when I woke up every single morning and looked in the mirror, I didn't see who I was. I, I, saw, I saw a stranger. I saw somebody that didn't connect fully internally to who I was and, and how I saw myself. As I continued to grow, I was getting more and more concerned because every day looking in that mirror, I was hoping that I would see myself. Mm we constantly are put into binaries on our gender. Even before we're born, we look at gender reveal parties. You ask parents, like, what do you want for your kids? And you're going to hear, I want them to feel loved and safe in, in the house and outside of the house. I want them to do and expand however they want to in their careers and in life and whoever. 
But then, before kids are even born, they are already put in a blue or a pink box with gender reveal parties. Oh, it's a boy because it's blue. Or, oh, it's a girl because it's pink. And there's this canvas already painted on what that should look like for that young individual before they're even born. And that's terrifying. And it's it's very... It's unfortunate that the conversations for young trans and non-binary individuals are being cultivated on the backs of negative conversations. Because when they're led in that way, a lot of times there's already so many misconceptions that right now we're in such a critical crisis with trans and non-binary young individuals and students where they're being attacked in all these different states as students not being able to use the facility of their choice, being harassed and things not being reported and documented. And the arguments, you already have people screaming, so nothing's being heard in the room. Uh, These misconceptions that people have, this lack of ability for people to deal with it, talk about it, has been there for a very long time. Why do you think now is an especially dangerous time for young people 10 to 24 compared to even the situations that you faced when you were in high school? This, just in this past year, has been the most anti-LGBTQ plus political um, year historically um, with over 200 plus anti-LGBT bills, um, bills that have been passed. Like in Texas right now, a parent can lose custody of their kid and be arrested for providing care to their young trans or non-binary kid because they feel it's you're doing harm to that child and when you say provide care we're talking about gender affirming care care that we know works scientifically Mm -hmm. we know that doctors understand that that this is something that saves lives and helps people's lives but yet this is the sort of care you're talking about that's being banned yes in Texas also, any type of providers that are found to provide this type of gender-affirming care can be arrested as well, can lose their licensing. And there is so many things that I think about in my young younger years that and navigating conversations mm-hmm. that just were arguments to lead into being discriminated against and i was navigating that on top of navigating my identity so manifesting this hate speech to well everyone's against me should i be against myself like what's wrong with me Mm -hmm. and especially now with such toxicity and hate i i was one of those when looking at like 52 percent of trans and non-binary youth have thought about committing suicide in the past year. Back then when I was little, I was part of that statistic. I know Ace, that, that, that you know people um, who are coming from Texas to Connecticut. Yeah. I mean, can you talk about that? Yeah, with these anti-LGBTQ plus bills, parents who are trying to empower and reinforce their their kids' identities to to show them a loving and embracing place. Now with these policies in place in these states, they're fleeing. There are several families that um, I have met through different works and organizations and conversations that have reached directly out to me saying, my kid isn't safe. And my number one priority is my kid. And there are, many are coming to Connecticut because we have these policies and protocols and guidelines in place 
to protect and uplift and empower these young individuals. And it's scary that in in the U.S. we have people fleeing states in the U.S. to come to other states because they are being terrorized. The The thing, though, I think that you hear from a lot of people who clearly don't understand, either people who don't have the words or the personal experience to be the type of allies that you'd want, or people who are passing laws in Texas that are specifically discriminatory. I think they all share something, which is they say, at seven, how do you know? At seven, it's really hard to know who you're gonna be in a lot of ways, not just how do I identify with my gender? What do you say to people who are like, you can't possibly know at seven or 10 years old. You're too young to You're know. You're too young to know. When I hear that, it's, it's the dynamic of how do you know better than I know? I, I, I'm the one who lays on that pillow at night. I'm the one who wakes up and walks down the street in this skin, in this body. And then you see statistics uh-huh. that rash, like clear, clear statistics showing the the levels of anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts and stuff of these young kids. And even as a young kid, I knew and I saw that being different was not easy. Mm-hmm. I saw pushing outside of these pink and blue boxes was not a safe thing to do. I was going to be ridiculed and and ostracized in a lot of ways for it, that to then to go back to saying that an adult is like, no, you, you just don't know what you want. Like you're just, it's exciting to be trans and you, you're confused and I know what's best for you is I can tell you that when I fully had the terminology mm-hmm. as an individual, it scared me even more because I knew all of the obstacles that I was going to have to mm-hmm. face. And and I saw that by third grade. And I say that because recess is one of the most exciting things for kids. And a lot of people think that. Well, it was one of the most torturous things for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. By third grade, I stopped going to recess mm-hmm. because I would get finish my food run out for recess from the cafeteria and i would want to play kickball or something that was very much so seen as only the boys are going to do this and i was verbally and physically harassed consistently and third grade i i was already done so i would literally get my little cafeteria food tray and go into the art teacher's room and eat my food and then just sort out all of their the equipment and materials and by the age of 14 there were so many different things I had to face as a young kid that no one should even have to think about I or I had attempted rape on me when you get into high school people get a little bit more vocal about their opinions and unfortunately one of those people I thought was a friend was like well you just need to have good dick to figure out that you're a woman Mm -hmm. and attempted rape in the side stairwell of my school during class, and I was in Shelton High School. So if you ever have been in Shelton High School, it is just a brick slab. Um, mm-hmm. 
with little windows. So side stairwell, steel doors, no one's going to hear anything. And that's terrifying in alone. But then I, by that point, growing up not having having anyone listening, uh, talking about dealing with verbal or physical abuse as a young kid, and they're just saying, oh, just ignore it, or, oh, it's okay, that they didn't mean that, or it's probably something you did to get to the level of high school where I'm not, especially based on this, I'm not going to open up and say, this horrific thing happened to me, to then possibly have no repercussions to this person, and then sit in a class and be like, I tried reaching out, and no one listened again. And that's what happens consistently with these young individuals. And for me as a young trans boy, I never felt I had a place. And I I was always questioned. And at that point, when you constantly are questioned, you then self-doubt yourself. Well, we're all under-equipped. Yeah. Right? I think parents have historically been up until this point are under equipped have been under equipped schools as you talk about are well under equipped to support trans youth i think to support most youth adequately but trans youth especially um and so what would be the thing that helps us help educators help parents with the tools resources language that they need to support their youth education professional development days, training sessions, staff, faculty, everybody should have conversations and trainings on the laws that are in place, the guidelines that are in place, because they're here, like I, I even brought them um, <laughs> to, to be able to reference right off the bat, but like the Anti-Discrimination Act that was passed in 2013 in Connecticut that protects individuals to choose the bathroom that they identify with. Lots of people don't even know that. Young kids that are, are trans and non-binary, even adults, aren't aware of these, these guidelines or laws that are in place specifically in Connecticut to be a protection for them. And unfortunately, for some schools, they are like, nah, we're, we're fine, we're fine. And, un- and an unfortunate for these schools, um, they are in legal turmoil now uh, with parents and kids that have had conflicts and discrimination put against them that were like, hey, this is happening again and again and again. And one specific district that I know that I've been working with, they documented over a year's worth of content that they reported that was not filed and was not investigated. So these are young kids who are saying, I'm I'm getting verbally attacked i'm getting possibly phys- some of them were i'm getting physically attacked these kids are are reporting and trying to be hey you want me to come into school i want to learn this is a educational place i cannot learn if i don't feel safe to not have conversations on how to navigate that as a whole this disjointedness is killing kids it is, it is killing kids. Mm. And the stats are there. It's not me just saying it to, to, to get people. It's, it's literally the stats are there. And especially having the education system be the, be the stepping point in starting other conversations with parents. Now, this is the providing, whether it's a school or a library or whatnot, having open table conversations with families and parents, specifically or caregivers, 
on what does that look like? If your kid or or niece or nephew or whomever comes out to you that they're possibly part of the LGBTQ plus community, what what's next? Oftentimes, people live on fear and we react on fear. And unfortunately, a, a perfect example, um, which is also a sad example, is that my parents didn't know how to react when I came out as trans. And for a period of time, I had no connect, no conversation. I actually was, um, I left the house the Sunday before Thanksgiving because I was told, well, if you're not going to be our daughter, you can't be anything to us. And I fought too long and hard to, to feel comfortable and confident and loved by myself to let anyone else control that mm-hmm. and that night sunday before thanksgiving in 2010 i left that house because i wasn't gonna lie anymore to myself and there was a duration of time uh about a year that my parents and i didn't talk and then all of a sudden i started getting these text messages like did you get eggs and milk there's gonna be a snowstorm or did you to rotate simple like random text message from my parents and i'm like what is like what you haven't talked to me what is happening and this was the first baby steps and by the end of that my my parents and i have a great rapport now and yeah. our loving rapport and i'm i'm very happy that that was the outcome it, it did suck that it took a year. But but you you say it's it's based on fear, and fear almost always stems from lack of understanding of something. I, I am I'm scared of that which I do not understand. Mm-hmm. And your parents are in the boat with a lot of other parents, a lot of other educators. We cannot assume mm-hmm. that even with all the information in the world, that there aren't gonna be parents who do the exact same thing that your parents did at first. Particularly because parents don't know how to have sex conversations with their kids yeah. who are cisgender, right? Oh, or, or, well, honestly, in conversations with their kids about any number a, of things that have nothing things. to do with sex at all, right? right? It's just like, it's hard to talk to your kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On, this, on the other hand, you know, how do we get more parents like yours to have the tools to be able to do this better? And so the, the first part of that question there, it, yes, it's a lot of give and take, especially because the tools weren't there. Yeah. But then there's this part like, the, I'm another human being, and a perfect example of this, I, my wonderful, loving, full Italian, she's, I bless her heart, she's going to be 98 this year, little teeny, like, Catholic grandma, didn't waver when I came out as trans. Mm-hmm. Didn't waver at all they're like i love you you're always going to be a a part of my life and didn't question as a 97 year old i mean the 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 things that she has gone through and has witnessed in her life for someone at that age to make a clear-cut decision i love you no matter who you are to have younger individuals completely shut off from their kids and yes there is a there is a give and take, and it's an it's it's hard sometimes to navigate those conversations with young um, queer individuals, young trans and non-binary individuals, because there's not those resources. And so, to to lead into your next question, that's where I'm fortunate. I can like 
as I try to be a resource and have going into schools, going into organi- organizations, going into nonprofits, talking openly in libraries, having forums with parents, working with Q plus as a nonprofit for LGBTQ plus youth, working with P flag, working with all these other organizations that are saying, we have these resources to help you get these tools to then be able to lead into conversations with your kids, with your students, with your peers, with those, with the younger, your niece or nephew or the neighbor who's, who you have a, a great rapport with because that's, you're like their second uncle or aunt and they feel comfortable coming to you because they trust you. How do you navigate when a young kid's like, oh, I use they, them pronouns now. And you're like, oh crap, what do I do? It's the, I see you and I, and I love you no matter what that one affirming person will reduce possibly having a suicide attempt by 40%. One accepting person will reduce the depression, the anxiety, the possibility of suicide by 40%. So when you when you have statistics to show that just like one person, your grandma, yeah. right? Stepping up and saying, no, I support you, I love you no matter what. Boy, that's actually, that's a very different thing when it comes to a public policy uh, perspective. Changing a few minds actually helps. You don't have to change all the minds. Mm -hmm. You don't have to change 50% of the minds to get all the votes. That's actually really, that's a really interesting thing, not just to think about in this particular case, but probably a lot of the touchy subjects we've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I've thought of, I think about this a lot because I think that, you know, when when, when we talk about narrative work, which is, you know, my day job, right? We talk about the things that can change minds so that we can change policy. One of the things that can potentially be more impactful than laws, but certainly don't replace the necessity of laws, Mm -hmm. is sort of the work that you do of making sure people have those tools, resources, and I come back to language every day because how many times do we get caught up in conversations where people are like, oh, uh, uh, oh, she, I'm sorry, they, I'm sorry, right? Like, and suddenly you're shut down, you don't know what to do, you don't want to touch the trans conversation at all. And and that's a big thing is, is as humans, we're always concerned about making that mistake. And and especially with pronouns. You're like, oh, I'm sorry, Ace, it's he. And if you're trying, if you're even opening that conversation, someone in the queer community, someone who's trans, someone who's non-binary is gonna see that. They're not. They're gonna see that you're trying. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the ripple effect, as I, as I call it, where you may not know how to be an ally and you aren't comfortable walking down the street to a pride parade or or a rally or whatnot you affirming that one person that affirmation that empowerment of that person saying you are valued you are respected you are loved is then going to do this this ripple effect and that person is going to feel affirmed and respected and loved to do the same for another person and that's what i hope to do when i go into a room i know i'm not going to change everyone's mind where just some people are going to always agree to disagree. And here's what you might not know. Giving you my story, I'm, I'm not a threat. Like, I've never been a threat. And I don't know why individuals, even when I was little, thought I was a threat. 
like, why, why? I'm, I, I go to school. I, I have a job. I pay taxes. I pay, like I pay taxes and, <laughs> and, and all these things. What about me is a threat to you? And, and oftentimes there, there isn't a response. It's just that unknown. It's the, we don't have those tools. Right. And with that, with that notion, when I go into a conversation, especially on trainings, I say, this is a, this is a conversation. I may come in as, as the expert, but I want you to ask the question. I always live on, I'd rather you ask than assume, because mm-hmm. then you're like Wiley Coyote and you run over the cliff and it's too far too late mm-hmm. and it's oftentimes dangerous. I'd rather you ask the question, whether that question may be very jumbled with words you probably shouldn't be using or whatnot. Yeah. I'd rather you ask the question. Now, I always put a, a little pause on that because I am, I am ready and willing pretty much all the time to ask questions uh, and answer those questions that are asked of me. There has to be an understanding that an individual who may also identify as trans may not want you to ask that question. And they may immediately be like, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And I always, when talking to a lot of the community, um, say, I totally respect and accept and get why you don't want to have to train everybody. Like, it's not your job. It is not your job to be the teacher. Direct them to me or direct them to Q plus or direct them to this other organization. So that's why I guess I continue to try being loud because especially going into trainings, I want you to, whatever the question is, I want you to ask it because there's probably everybody else in this room, if not half of this room that wants to ask the same question. And I'm not going to criticize you on your words. I'm not going to judge you on those words. I want you to ask those questions because you're in this room to learn. Ace, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you. It's been, it's been exciting. And, and, I, again, I'm a dork for questions, so I love <laughs> This is Untold, a Connecticut Mirror podcast. You could go to ctmirror.org slash untold for bonus content and photos from this episode. Look us up on social, drop us an email, and don't forget to send us your untold stories. Tell us what's going on in your community. And if you like what you heard, leave us a review and share this episode with a friend who'd love it too. Our reporter for this episode was Ali Yoshinsky. Our music is composed by Mark Lyon. Graphic design for Untold is by Jordana Hertz. We have digital support from Kyle Constable and Gabby DeBenedictus. Untold is produced and edited by Harriet Jones. Thanks to the Connecticut Mirror's executive editor, Beth Hamilton, and publisher, Bruce Putterman.